Welcome to the Best in Sales, your dose of education, inspiration, and entertainment with stories of the biggest wins. Maybe a typical sale was a pallet. What I sold was a truckload. And the biggest losses. We thought it was a slam dunk. It was a $15 million project. And, you know, get the phone call in the 11th hour that, sorry, you guys didn't get it. From the best salespeople in the world. Sales is not selling used cars. It's really about helping your customers to solve problems. And now your host, Owen Groman. My guest today is Martin Groman. Martin is the Director of Sustainability at GAF Materials Corporation. He's also the founder of a new business called HelloCycle, which we'll talk about on this program. And he was the founder and CEO of Correct Building Products and the product Correct Deck, for which it was most known. Marty, welcome to the Best in Sales. Thanks, Owen. Pleasure to be on. Pleasure and an honor. Yeah. Yeah, Marty, of course, we should probably get out of the way pretty early because people are probably smart enough to know there's not that many Gromans in the world that you are my brother back east. Yes, sir. <laughs> so thanks for being on the show. But not just, uh, you know, Marty's not just a guy that is my brother and I needed a guest. Marty, of course, was a, uh, as we mentioned, he, he uh, a serial entrepreneur. Can I call you that? Yeah, I, I like to think that. I've uh... I've really only started one uh, company that that uh, sort of hit the mark, I guess. Uh, but I guess a lot of entrepreneurs would say that I, I started a building products manufacturing company that was on the uh, called Correct Building Products. It was on the Inc. 500 uh, three times in a row in the mid 2000s. Peaked at number uh, uh, 211, I think it was. Uh, I know that because I have that pinned to my wall. I'm kind of proud of it. Not that many companies uh, make it three years in a row, too. So, kind of a cool thing and. Uh, it had a great experience, uh, although a tough experience being an entrepreneur. So I call you a serial entrepreneur. What do you call yourself? If someone asks you, Marty, what do you do for a living? What's your response to that? You know, growing out of uh, the sale of my company, which was uh, successful, I've moved into uh, the field of sustainability, believe it or not. I was, I've always been really focused on that in my career, uh, I, and I see great economic opportunity in sustainability for what it's worth and in, in recycling and, and, and trash and energy efficiency and all kinds of things like that. And I, I grew myself into a role at the acquiring company in sustainability, and now I'm sort of making a, a career of that. Gotcha. Now, of course, on the best in sales, we're focused on the sales part of it, and, and sales is not anywhere in what you just described, at least on the surface. So does it does it have a, a, a role for you in, in your career? Yeah. You know, I've never had a, a business card that said sales on it, but uh, like any entrepreneur will tell you, you know, uh, <laughs> who used to say uh, sales cures all ills. I mean, I, I know when the... Uh, you know, when the company was cranking, uh, making this product called Correct Deck, which you can still uh, buy today, by the way. Now it's called Dura Life, and it's it's a wonderful decking product. Um, um, you know, you would have all these operational problems, but it it really was true. You know, sales cures all ills. I mean, if you, if you can keep the customers coming in for your product and and therefore uh, keep the cash flow up, you can work through just about anything. So yeah, like I said, I never had a business card that said sales on it, but I, I've always been somebody that has uh, great respect for the sales uh, process and uh, maybe because I've never done it myself, even though I managed the sales team of, uh, of 10 plus people plus uh, reps all over the country and more all over the world in more than 100 countries. Uh, there's a mystique, you know, being that person that can ask for the order, you know, not, not just anybody can do it. 
But what about early in the days with uh, correct building products? I mean, weren't you, I mean, you bootstrapped it to some extent, right? You kind of had to be the sales force initially, right? Now, that's a good point. Uh, yeah, I definitely booked the first sales for the business. Uh, I uh, well remember the uh, first truckload of uh, material that uh, we sold. It was a sale, uh, probably came in at about 25000 you know, per truck, $25,000 sale. And uh, I took pictures of it rolling out the door. And yeah, I was mighty proud of it. I'm sure. So in the period before that sale, you've started a company, right? And, you know, Peter Drucker would say that business starts with a customer. Of course, that's, you know, that's management speak there. Of course, you start your business and have an idea and a product and all that. But what was the time between starting the business and having something going and that first sale? What was that like for you? Well, I mean, that was interesting. I, I raised more than a million bucks to start the company. I raised 1.125 million. Uh, and it amazes me to this day, really, that I was able to pull that off, that I, uh, I convinced banks and investors that I would be able to sell this stuff. The, the material yeah. is... <laughs> Maybe that was the best sale right there that you sold. That's actually sold them, right? a yeah. pretty good point. Yeah. Um, it, you know, it's it's an extruded uh, decking product. It's it's a it's basically sort of a a, a plastic wood type of product. Again, it's called Duralife now, and uh, it it existed only in in the uh, bankers and investors' imagination. Uh, I had a very credible background in it. I had been involved in the manufacturing of it before, but actually, from the day. Uh, you know, that we wrote the first checks to buy the equipment to when we actually made something that you could hold in your hand was about eight months. And it was a pretty stressful time. I'm sure. Uh, so yeah, there, there was, uh, there was a little bit of a leap of faith. And you're right. I, I, I handled all of the initial sales, uh, myself. Uh, I remember an early sale when we got cranking, uh, you know, I think a great attribute of, of a successful salesperson is just really is that ability to ask for the order. And uh, I had the guts once to ask a big customer in, in Colorado for the order. And, you know, instead of a truck, I went for it. I said, uh, well, Dan, how about a rail car? And he said, yeah, okay. <laughs> I put I put that purchase up for order. It was uh, you know three hundred and fifty thousand dollar order. I I pinned that one to the bullet board bulletin board in the in, in the decking plant. That's for wow, sure. Wow, what a moment! That's amazing. So tell me, because I had a guest. Um, I've had a couple guests on the show that are more that really fit like you, Marty. That didn't come up through the ranks in sales or anything like that. That's kind of the core guest and, and the core audience member. But we certainly get a lot of selling founder CEO types. And one of my favorite things to kind of think about as you go through that process is how did you acquire that first customer? I mean, you don't have the the, the training or the background. Was it really as simple as just how much you believed in your product? Or I mean, what were the what were the steps that you took to get that first customer on board? Um, yeah, I agree with you. I think it, I had a sense of who the first customer would be before getting the the business off the ground and, and uh, you know, was showing them prototypes uh, from pretty early on. But I was selling into uh, an arcane field called two-step <laughs> lumber distribution. I, I think all of us in business, you know, we have these sectors and we have – we feel like we have to explain them to people, you know, no, this is the way that lumber is sold and it just doesn't arrive at the specialty lumber dealer. But, you know, so lumber has its own uh, kind of unique set of characteristics. And uh, sure. 
I definitely had to kind of get a sponsor to get welcome in, welcomed into that club. And, you know, it, it turned out to be a guy who I had sort of networked. This is a way before LinkedIn uh, really, really worked. He, uh, you know, the old adage, if you want uh, money, ask for advice. And if you want it up, if you want advice, ask for money. Uh, right. Yeah. <laughs> that's a good one. Uh, we haven't said that on the show yet. That's a good one. It turned out to be somebody really that I had asked for advice about the name of the product. Uh, the product was called Correct Act, a great name that, that people really liked. But previous to that, I had called it Ficomex. And, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, never, I, like, I, I like Correct Act. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I never sold a stick of it under under that old name, and, and you know that that thing hit me that name one day, and and it was you know I kind of went to a, a fellow that I'd met in the lumber business with the new name, and and I, he kind of paused and he said, "Oh yeah," and then he really turned out to be a good advisor who, you know, there's a real club in the in the two step specialty lumber business, which of course exists in other businesses. When you you, you got to have somebody escort you in there. And uh, it's definitely a, a glass of scotch and cigar crowd, and and they they don't want to be sold hard. They really want somebody to vouch for them. So that was that was really a rough view, I should say. So that that was how I found my first customer. Really was was sort of networking my way into that club. Well, those are two great stories in there, and two great kind of lessons. Obviously, the referral always comes up a lot in every conversation we have on the best in sales. We all know that. You know, at the level of sale that my guests and our audience usually is at, it's not really so much of what can I do to get you in this on this deck today in your case. You know, it's really going to be referral based, um, doing a good job and, and kind of earning it. But the line that I that I like a lot from what you said earlier was the sale to the bankers when you said this existed only in the banker's imagination. And to me, that's a powerful thing, because even in just the way you said that, I can hear that you had to build really a picture for them. And that's a challenging thing. It's one of the most challenging things that any salesperson encounters, having to just sort of create this belief in their ability to uh, to accomplish something. Obviously, you wouldn't do that to someone that's that's gonna you know um, buy from you you know when there's no product there. But when you were talking to bankers, it's kind of what you had to do. So it's it's very logical that you then followed up by getting through to the two step lumber business and, and everything else that came after that because you had that vision and you were able to build that. Um, vision for your uh, customer. Well, for the banker first, and then for the customers. Let's say, yeah, a banker's always going to look for two ways to get paid back. But I think if you if you can find those, so I, they were collateralized by the equipment that we bought, and also by uh, loan guarantees that we were we got from the Small Business Administration, uh, the SBA Seven A program. It's a great program. Uh, but you know, we did. We definitely had to bring the dream to them. And, uh, look, I mean, they're looking for glory as well. Uh, commercial bankers are looking for deals, whether or not they'll let on. I mean, they're going to lay pretty low and, you know, they're not like other investors. I mean, the best they can do is make 10 or 12 percent. Uh, so they, you know, they're going to be a little bit more risk averse. But then again, you know, they want to be on the cover of the business magazine standing next to you saying, you know, great success. Uh, you know, buying the second extruder, you know, borrowing the second million bucks. So, uh, yeah, you know, they, if you can get them in the spotlight and, and, and help them uh, sort of dream ahead, which did turn out to be the case for, for my bankers on that program, for what it's worth, uh, that's certainly going to help you get this thing off the ground. Yeah, I love that about how the best in sales goes. This 
was not really the intent, but you're kind of telling this really powerful story within the, the sale, if you will, to the bankers about creating a vision of success for your customer, which is a basic tenet of solution selling. Um, and so uh, that's a good story. So let's pivot a little bit, Marty, because I know you're into something new. You made me think of it with the naming conversation because, um, you know, I got to be part of that process for you a little bit with HelloCycle. Yeah, thanks. So now that I'm in uh, sustainability consulting and working for a major American corporation, a great company with 5,000 plus people uh, in the role as director of sustainability, uh, I get questions all the time. What do I do with these curly light bulbs, the CFLs? How do I uh, properly recycle, dispose of batteries? Uh, You know, what do I do with this old electronic crap? And, you know, I got really good at answering those questions. I mean, you can take CFLs, for example, to any Home Depot. Um, a lot of good recycling options for inkjet cartridges and things like that. But realized all those options are good, but they're all individual options, and they're all kind of a pain in the butt. And, yep. and that's when I had sort of the why doesn't somebody moment. <laughs> right. And that's what gets you started, yeah. Yeah. So the the cycle business is basically – uh, a subscription, uh, sort of like the Netflix of recycling, except the twist is that I send you an empty box, and into that empty box you can put all those jumbled old adapters and cords you don't use anymore, old phones, old uh, curly light bulbs, and once it's full, throw the old batteries in there, clean out the junk drawer, seal it up, send it to me. It's dead easy. And I send you an empty box back the next month, and you can keep filling it with those items as you come as the uh, as the month goes on, or whenever you need to send it to me. Yeah, I always say that any business that's going to make life easier for people is probably worth really taking a long, hard look at, and I think that's one for sure. I know I'm, in fact, in my quote unquote studio here. I think I'm about six and a half feet away from a bag full of batteries. Yeah, uh, that we don't know what to do with double A batteries, so. Uh, so AA batteries work, right? Batteries do, and they're among the toughest items. And, you know, when I get questions from my coworkers about that, I spend a lot of time researching it, you know, getting all the way to my counterpart at uh, Everready Corporation, actually, the director of sustainability there, and learning about, you know, the appropriate ways to recycle batteries. And uh, that's actually the hardest item that we deal with, but we found a good uh, solution for battery recycling and uh, they are broken down and, and, and recycled by a metal company. Uh, but you're right. And, and, and you feel, you know, I don't know if you feel this way, but it, I will have to say sort of like our target customer, which probably includes us feels this way. You have that bag of batteries because you feel guilty about putting them in the trash. And that kind of is our tagline. You know, you know, you shouldn't put these items in the trash, but you don't know what to do with them. And that's really the the problem that we solve. Right. Well, and and almost as powerful, it's not just that you feel that way. It's You feel like, um, yeah, I, I guess it is. It's what you feel like. It's what you're supposed to do. It's what you're told to do, right? I mean, when you don't know what to do these days, the answer is usually, right, you Google it. So if you Google, what should I do with my batteries, you're supposed to collect them together and then take them to Rite Aid or wherever, Home Depot or wherever the hell it's supposed to be. Right. And that's not a very good solution. So... It's, it, I like what you got there. Yeah, you're right. I mean, it's uh, 
it's workable solution if you feel like making an individual trip in 45 minutes in traffic to take some batteries to Ray and then, you know, uh, get over with your curly light bulbs to uh, Home Depot and so forth. And those are all fine things, and I'll be the first to tell you that. And if that's convenient for you, great. Um, but if I can provide this service, you know, which is simple and quick and, and responsible, um, then, you know, so much the better. Right. So you're on a new path here now and you've got to figure out a new sales process, right? Because, I mean, again, you're pretty much bootstrapping this. So you're going to repeat the you're going to repeat the, you know, correct BP experience, you think, and just kind of sell it however you can figure out. Obviously, now what we're 10, 10 years since you started correct BP or what, 12 years? Yeah, yeah. 10 or 12 years. Yeah, so it's things a good, have changed. It, it, it has to a certain ex- extent changed. I mean, we really grew the uh, the correct act business with it, this is going to sound archaic to people, but uh, we were really the first building products company that would send you a free sample. You could fill out a form on our website and click submit, and you know, four or five days later, you'd have different color samples. And really? uh, yeah, I, I mean, didn't know so. That. That that had this amazing effect on on growing our business because it created a pull through sale. I used to, um, you know, we got really good at it. I mean, we'd have, so I have somebody write in, say from Bayshore, Long Island, and I say, okay, great, you know, probably a good area, probably a good prospective customer. We we'd uh, package those uh, decking samples up, send them off, and we would include in there a suggested dealer, and so we'd start doing that for a while. And, you know, we would call that dealer, um, you know, a week or two later and, and, and try to approach them about a sale. And sometimes we'd have some success, uh, but it really wasn't working. And, and then I, uh, then I hit on, well, I need a name. <laughs> so I'd, I'd get a hold of a person, you know, say George at Bayshore Lumber. And when the, so when a person would ask for a sample, I would include it right in there, and we would have a system set up, and it would say, go to Bayshore Lumber and ask for George. And, okay, then we'd give it a week or two, and then we would call up George at Bayshore Lumber, and we'd say, yeah, we're from Correct Tech. Hey, has anyone been asking for our product? And he would go, yeah, somebody just walked in last week. Oh. And so Perfect. you, came up, you, know, you so, came up with that process yourself? Yeah, I pretty much came up with it, I mean, out of necessity. I mean, so we, we would be coming at poor George, you know, from both directions. Right. And uh, <laughs> yeah, we could have, uh, uh, you know, basically trying to – and our business was all about a pull-through sale. And uh, so that was – you know, we, ha- we had to – have decking customers, but this stuff, you know, was heavy. It weighs thousands of pounds and it's got to ship hundreds of miles. We, we weren't shipped direct from the factory. It was all through distribution. And, uh, but we figured out that very direct and frankly, somewhat low cost, uh, approach to selling it. Uh, now with HelloCycle, I obviously that team, there's no George in that process. And I'm working directly with, uh, you know, probably busy moms, busy executives who, are environmentally responsible people want to do the right thing, you know, how to reach and appeal to them. Uh, frankly, I don't know yet. Uh, yeah, uh, you're on a new journey, right? Yes. <laughs> that's funny. I like the George story, though. I mean, that's really innovative. Um, it speaks to this theme that's developed on the best in sales. I kind of intentionally, I, I kind of wanted it to develop, and it's kind of just happened about how salespeople aren't really salespeople. I know it sounds really weird, but... Um, people who have success in sales often aren't even thinking about selling or a process or having sales in their title. And I think the George story, as I'm calling it now, um, 
that illustrates that because I, again, I having I know you personally, obviously. You do not, to me, strike me as a salesperson ever really in any way at all. And yet you came up with this brilliant sales process, just as you said, out of necessity, the mother of all invention, of course. Um, and I mean, it's so powerful. It's just how people just kind of connect the dots because they have to. And that's what oftentimes it's, that's all sales really is. Yeah, I think you're right. Uh, I mean, uh, in, in, in the world of building products, I, I met some of the best salespeople, uh, that you're ever going to know. And, uh, you know, selling multi-million dollar projects, uh, like sports stadiums and, and things like that for, you know, national uh, companies and international companies like MGM and things like that. We work on projects uh, with companies like that. And I do think you're right. There's a, um, oh, you know, I guess you can get into some stereotypes around problem solving and so forth. But, yeah, there's very little uh, glad handing that goes on and a lot more being creative about the process. I definitely agree with that. Did you ever – did you ever sense, you know, when you were when you had ownership of the sales process in your time at, uh, you know, building the Correct Deck brand, was there ever one sale gone awry that you could tell the story of? Um, yeah, <laughs> there were a lot of sales gone awry. <laughs> yeah, that's usually uh, what people say when I ask for one. Is say, that well, right? Which, which of the hundreds do you want? Yeah, I, I guess uh, the immediate the one immediately comes to mind is the. The product that we shipped, uh, on, on, uh, you know, at month eight, say, you know, we got it out the door. It was fairly dimensionally consistent. You know, turns out that people want their decking boards all the same size. Uh, and, uh, <laughs> We're talking just so people are clear if they haven't picked up on it. We're literally the deck that you like your front porch, that kind of decking is what we're talking about, right? Yeah, the you yeah. know patios, boardwalks, the thing that you walk on and then hold you up. And uh, anyway, we it was a fine looking product, but it was kind of a you know, just a, a basic uh, uh, smooth material. And we shipped it out, and the uh, distributor took it. And then uh, you know I had ordered uh, months before. A, a an embossing roll that had a wood grain on it, and frankly, kind of forgotten about it. It was a long lead item. I'd ordered it in February, and this was August. And uh, you know, we got the thing in, we gave it a try, and uh, it really made this appealing look to the product. It gave it kind of a you know a, a more authentic, real, frankly, wood like look. And uh, so we um, we showed it to the customer. <laughs> He said, you're taking this truck back. So uh, we, we had to take it back and uh, replace it with all of the uh, new wood grain stuff. And I always joked with the uh, – I remember I had a decision to make. We were a 24-7 operation, and uh, I was walking out the door about uh, – shifts changed at 7 p.m. I was walking out the door about quarter seven at night, and the, the uh, shift leader uh, coming in looked at the wood grain thing, and he hadn't seen it before, and he said, you want me to leave that thing on there? And uh, I had this kind of moment, and I just said, yeah, yeah, Tim, leave it on. And we never made another stick without that wood grain on there. We made 139 million feet of decking before I sold the company. So it was, uh, uh, you know, it was kind of a moment for me. I won't forget. Yeah, that's a good one. All right, before we move into part two of the program, I want to share with our audience a product that is helping me sell more and will help you do the same. 
You know those customer visits where you leave saying, yeah, it was okay, like it was a first step and there might be something there, but it turned out you didn't really know the key challenges the customer was facing and you weren't talking to the person who can make the buying decision? Look, it happens to all of us except those of us using Boardroom Insiders. Boardroom Insiders maintains a database of the most in-depth executive profiles on the market from Fortune 500 companies and beyond and will even create new profiles of anyone else you want. I've been fortunate to use Boardroom Insiders myself, and it's mind-boggling. It's like you ask the sharpest, most detail-oriented person you know, hey, will you make me a profile of this customer I'm visiting? Except you don't have to do that. All you have to do is log into Boardroom Insiders and search the name of the company or person you're approaching. And they have over 1,000 companies in the database and growing. Visit boardroominsiders.com and click on See a Sample Profile to see what I'm talking about. And you can gain access to their free ebook, Best Practices for C Suite Selling, right from the homepage. Boardroom Insiders, your secret weapon for closing bigger deals faster. Well, Marty, it's been great to hear some stories from you so far. So we're going to move into part two of the program. This is really about some of your perspectives on sales. And of course, as we've already said a few times, uh, you know, you're not necessarily the the sales guy by trade, but you've worked around a lot of great ones. So I'm still interested in uh, in getting your feedback here. All right, so let me run some some kind of quick hit questions about your perspective on on sales, past you, Marty. Um, the first one is I'm interested. This this one might be a little more up your alley because you obviously you you definitely had to be heavily involved in this at some point in your time as an entrepreneur. Probably going about to go through it again. Um, and that is the pricing dilemma. And so from a salesperson standpoint, I kind of call it the sales gut check. This is when the money's on the line. How do you balance maximizing the margin with being sure to win the deal? So the theory is that you kind of got the devil on each shoulder type of situation. You got one guy going, don't go too high. You're going to lose this deal. And then you got the other being like more margin, more margin. You want the biggest deal of all time. And so how do you balance that in your business? You know, I'm very much a person who, uh, came to this the hard way. Um, when I started selling my product, I remember clearly the previous uh, product at, in my last startup, it was a dollar one a linear foot. Uh, and I definitely built up that pricing from a margin point of view. So I knew that it cost me, you know, say 70 cents in materials and I, you know, and then for the SGNA and so forth, I built in and a little bit of profit margin. I got to that dollar one and I said, that's the number. And then, you know, and that was fine. Nobody, nobody really objected. Uh, over time, we were able to pick that up as we were able to say to customers, uh, okay, you know, the cost of plastic has gone up and so forth. We got it to a dollar five or a dollar seven or something like that. Over time, I learned the hard way, uh, from products that were not as good as mine that were selling for more. And I knew it was costing them less to make products that the last thing you want to do is build up that margin style pricing. You want to sell the value in your product. You know, the old story is I tell you there's a great new steakhouse in town and let's meet there and let's grab a steak. His point was wonderful. It's, uh, you know, grade A beef. It comes, you know, they ship it in, you know, by plane from Iowa and all this stuff. And you get over there and they, you grab the menu and a steak is eight ninety five. You're going to go, what? I mean, you're thinking, this is crap. And that same kind of thing, I mean, and, and uh, I learned over time that my product had value to my customer to be sold at more than $2 a linear foot, and I miss all of that opportunity. And it hamstrung the growth of my company. You've yeah. got to have 
that perceived value, that delta, is everything you create around the product. So I, you know, in my new venture, uh, HelloCycle, um, it isn't cheap. It's not meant to be. It's a convenience. It's $15 a month. Uh, you know, we, uh, we use a sheltered workshop to empty the boxes, uh, developing, developmentally disabled people, uh, creating jobs for them. Uh, I hope that, uh, customers see the value in that. Um, and, and, uh, but I don't want to price it so low that I cannot grow and serve more customers. And I think that the customer that I'm selling to understands that. And, uh, I, I really strongly advise people not to say, well, uh, you know, it cost me 67 cents to make, let's sell it for, uh, for 80. Never do that. Right. And, and 67 cents to make. And in this industry, people tend to make 30% margin. So let's put that on there and that, you know, right. Uh, wow. That's a, that's a great story, Marty. That's one of the best answers we've ever had to the pricing question. Um, it's interesting because I know a little bit, obviously, in learning more on this podcast about the correct deck product. Uh, you had a patent for that, right? It was literally the only product of its kind in the market, was it not? Yeah, yeah, that tops it off. I mean, to see the opportunity that I missed. You know, we were still able to grow strongly, but how much more, you know, headroom could we have had to grow the company and, you know, plow those dollars uh, into uh, customer service or product development or marketing or whatever it would be. All things that, you know, my customers would ultimately value. You know, I... Yeah, I, I don't know if you've ever had this experience, but you you buy a new car, say, uh, as it happens, I just bought a uh, a new Ford F one fifty with the EcoBoost engine, may I say, for uh, <laughs> when I need uh, need a truck. And uh, and is that you the, know, does that have a snowplow on it, or is that the old truck with the snow? Uh, it does have a plow. I you know, a nice outcome of, of of the sale of my business is I own some commercial warehouses and. Uh, uh, you know, that's, that's my nest egg and, and I do, I need, I, I have a legitimate excuse for people always give me grief because I drive a Prius and then a, a large truck and they say, why don't you just put the Prius in the truck? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they sort of, they sort of have a point. But, that's a big uh, humor there. Yeah, I like that. <laughs> I mean, just looking at the, 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 the value in your product and how you can grow it. Now, this is an example that comes from Ford, none of us are from, from Ford, but, you know, I've already bought this truck and then I happen to see consumer reports. And, you know, it has reviewed the new Ford F-150. And I bought the damn thing even though I bought the truck because I want to know that I made a good choice. Sure. <laughs> you know? Of course. You know, I want it to be confirmed. So in its way, I mean, that margin that you build into the sale of your product, you know, has to go to the ongoing perception of that product for your customer they they really want to feel good about the product that they built that they bought and that you know they can tell their neighbors and you know if we if we sold them a correct product one of the things that we learned was you know we would get all these inquiries leading up to Memorial Day July 4th and then it hit us people are having parties and they're imagining i want to have people over for a July 4th party and i want to have a new deck and i want to show it off and you know, everything that we wanted to create was about that high-end experience for that customer. And that it's just not driven by that margin-based sale. Right, right. Well, that's another great perspective on it, Marty. And I can see how you really internalize that and are taking that to your next business at HelloCycle because 
you've obviously chosen to use a sheltered workshop, which I don't know a ton about this stuff, but I have to imagine that that's not the bare bones cheapest way that you could do this. And so you're looking at it and going, I'm going to do something more valuable and more consistent to tie to another point you made on the show, more um, authentic with the business that you want to be in. I I had worked in the previous business with, with a sheltered workshop and just had a really rewarding experience. We had a little fastener that we sold with the product in it. We had more than 40 people employed packaging those and uh, adding the screws that went with them to them. And it was, it was the most rewarding thing I've ever done in business to see these people, the joy they got out of frankly being useful. I think it's something that we all feel. And that was what I was able to provide, you know, and, and indirectly my customers were able to provide, you know, we sold about 10 million of these fasteners every, uh, every quarter. I forget. And anyway, it was a lot. It kept a lot of people employed. And, and yeah, I found that really rewarding. I want to do that again. I think my customers will find it rewarding as well and, and, and meaningful. I agree. That's great. And we'll, of course, have a link to Hello Cycle's website on the uh, show notes page. Um, and then that's probably where people can learn more about what a sheltered workshop is. I know you've got, I think you've got descriptions and even pictures of it on your website, right? Yes, I do. Okay, good. All right, so let me ask you a couple other kind of sales-focused questions. Again, your perspective being, you know, kind of watching salespeople in your businesses or living it yourself uh, temporarily as you built businesses. But would you call sales more of an art or more of a science? And you have to pick a side. You got to pick a side. I would call it more of a science. Uh, you know, I, I think there's, you know, in my example with George, uh, you know, I think there's an approach that works. You you poke at it and you, you know, you got to, in the, in the case of my product, it, it took a lot of people saying, why should I buy this? Nobody asks for it for me to have that moment where I would say, well, you know what, sucker, I got the crowbar here. I'm going to make people ask for it. <laughs> so I would <laughs> So yeah, I would uh, that was it was more of a more of a science I would argue. So you've been uh, obviously in the entrepreneurial side of things and now in your new business you're going to get right back into this, I'm sure. So this might be a relevant question for you. Uh marketing has become sexier than the word sales at least. So let's say this. The word marketing has become sexier than the word sales in the 21st century. Do you agree with that and how do you differentiate the two in your businesses? I don't know if I have a, I suppose I, I, you know, I have a very interesting perspective on this. The, the, the piece of the, the business, running the business, being the CEO of a company with 75 people, uh, you know, 30 million plus of sales. I enjoyed marketing the most. And I think to a fall, you know, the last thing anyone who's been a CEO, what you will learn is the last thing you want to do is metal. You cannot step two or three layers down and say, well, I think the website should say this, or we should change the Earl to that. And uh, so, you know, I, I frankly would sort of screw up uh, by getting too involved <laughs> in, in marketing. You know, when you have smart people doing this stuff, what you need to do is, is uh, sort of create an environment and then, and then stay the heck out of their way. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, that said, um, and now, and, and then I suddenly come to a very large company with, with billions in sales, and, and, and marketing was m- in that company by necessity is is a much more of a uh, defined process involving many layers and, and and lots of legal review and stuff like that and uh, frankly makes you want to beat your head against the wall and in that business I would much rather 
be in sales. So, I mean, I can sort of see both arguments and both perspectives. And, and I mean, as the companies get bigger, in my experience, the, the more the division between the two grows and, and they <laughs> kind of spend a lot of time being mad at each other. Sure, uh, of course. Yeah, I've seen that myself as well. Even in a not that big of a company, it can happen. I yeah. saw the seeds of a company that had ambitions to be big and you see the uh, the kind of where that tension starts to uh, to build up. I mean, to really answer your question, I, I always felt like it is a bit of a military analogy, but I've heard it elsewhere. The marketing is kind of be like the air cover, and then the salespeople, maybe the ground troops, I suppose. Yeah. <laughs> Good. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, and the reason I asked, you know, one of the things I thought might be relevant was in HelloCycle, you're probably, I imagine, selling subscriptions and being driven a lot by putting people to the website, as, as pretty much every business, I guess, is now. But you're probably going to have a lot of what is generally known as social social marketing or social media marketing. Yep. And it's funny because that's a different process than the classic sales process that we tend to explore on the best in sales. But of course, the end result is a sale happening. So that was one of the reasons I thought you might have an answer to that question. Yeah, I think I'm going to you know, continue to find out the hard way on that and just see what what works, uh, you know, how we uh, approach customers. I, I'm, I think what is working for me is just my Frankly, my authenticity, obviously, I screw up every so often, but uh, I am somebody who has kind of a name in the world of recycling and sustainability. And, you know, hopefully that benefits the business and probably generates a little PR or continues to. Nice. So, Marty, is there a uh, – I won't ask you if you have a favorite sales tool because I know you're just not deep enough in thinking about today I'm selling. But do you have a tool from your time as an entrepreneur, something that you really use, that you know, hardware, software, anything like that that you would recommend for people? You know, I, I'm a fan of, of uh, Workflowy. I like uh, that as a to-do software. Uh, I, I get an immense sense of satisfaction of checking things off the list. Uh, like many of us, I have uh, seven different uh, uh, going concerns right now, and it's a nice way to uh, categorize that. Uh, beyond that, I am not that cutting it, and I carry a Franklin Classic planner that I got in 1990. It it looks like something a World War II pilot would carry now. At this point, it has a leather cover with stickers, and, you know, it's sort of like an old passport. But it impresses people. Uh, and I will say when you're in a long meeting and it's time to wrap it up and you can't seem to get the point across, there's nothing like taking that book and closing it up that makes the client go, yeah, it's probably time we wrap up. <laughs> Nice. Got it. And does it wait? This is, uh, I'm trying to picture this. Is this a pocket size thing? Or no, is it's, a... uh, it's kind of like a eight and a half by five and a half. It's like the mid size one. And, you know, it, it's funny. When you go through that thing and you take notes, it doesn't offend people. If you were doing that same thing with an iPad, it's offensive. Oh, if it's you're disgusting. Using, yeah, yeah, I, had a, it, I had a boss that used to do that. Yeah. With the iPad, that is. I totally agree with you. If on the you're paper. using I, the book and you're making notes, and frankly, you, yep. Yeah, I, I always go to every meeting with a yellow pad. Actually, I don't have an, any marriage to it being a yellow pad. In fact, I've thought I should maybe I should mark it a little better and get some graph paper or something that makes me look smarter. But um, I, I'm the same way. I love to just write down notes. And I'll tell you what, this is a big thing in sales. This is one of the earliest sales tips that I would give to anybody, and I've given to salespeople that worked for me is write down the exact words that your customer is saying, the exact phrase, all of it, because that's the only way that you can authentically go back to them and say, when you said X, 
I responded by coming up with solution Y. And you can't do that if you're sitting in the meeting and, and twiddling your thumbs or you're thinking, I don't know, maybe some people are better than me at focusing, but if I'm not writing it down, for all I know, I'm thinking about the next Red Sox game while this guy's talking when, when the point's not that interesting. So Yeah, you're absolutely right. on. And I have this problem to the max. As a matter of fact, I'm using it during the interview today. Another thing I do is I have a Buddha board. If you don't know what this is, it's it's a uh, uh, you have a paintbrush and a, a, a little tub of water, and you uh, you draw on the board, and somehow your mind it helps you focus, but it doesn't occupy your mind. And if I'm on a call with a customer where I need to be an active listener, just like you said, my mind personally will wander if I start writing down what they say. Maybe I can't keep it up. So I, I take the Buddha board and I draw trees and leaves on there, and I, be, I remain an active listener, but I am still kind of doing something else. Okay, so I need that for sure because hopefully none of my customers ever listen to this, but I sometimes will surf the web. I know yeah. that's, super, that's so embarrassing for someone who just said how important it is to listen to customers. But sometimes if it's just kind of in the middle or it's like the end of a story or something, I, it's like I've got to do something. So my solution often is actually walking around. I yeah. walk on the phone all the time. Uh, working from home, walking on the phone is easy and that's great. But when I'm in an office and I'm sort of stuck there, if I'm not writing something down, if there's not something relevant to write down, I just find myself fidgety. So I think I need a, a you said a Buddha board or Buddha board? Yeah, a Buddha board. I think it was just your birthday. I got one is coming to you. All right. <laughs> there we go. I need one. That sounds good. I actually kind of like the idea of it too, that you, when you started to explain it, it hit me of something that I just felt the other day when I was uh, going for a run is that sometimes, especially when you're making like a big decision, you feel like, I wish I could access my subconscious better. Do you ever yep. feel that? Yes. You know, like like there's a there's a feel to it that's important, but you don't want to just be like, oh, this feels good because you know it's it could be tied to something that just happened. But there's like a real decision inside you somewhere that you somehow need to access, and I imagine that thing maybe helps with that. Yeah, you're right. You got to learn how to manage yourself. And for you, it's going for a run. It's the same kind of thing for me. It's going for a long road bike ride, you know, and I, it always hits me. Oh, <laughs> dumbass. Why didn't you do this? <laughs> yeah, it does. It hits you and you're like, why didn't, why didn't I see this? I had it happen yesterday where I just, the answer, I, I don't want necessarily, probably not a good time for me to go into what the answer was, but I. Yeah, then you know, we don't know. Yeah, well, right, yeah. <laughs> the, uh, the thing that happened was literally that I finished my run and I was like, wow, I just ran faster than I've run in like a month and I, I wasn't even thinking about it. And yeah. so that was kind of, you know, you kind of like, what what was going through my mind? Why was that so powerful? And so that's the kind of thing that I mean. And, and hopefully the uh, the uh, Buddha board can help with that as well. Yeah, go with that. Go with the uh, the peer group. The peer groups are wonderful. Get a group of uh, like-minded individuals with whom you don't compete. I had a new product I was launching and I was so upset I couldn't get my customers you know I, I got this new higher-end product it's uh, easy cleaning and stuff like that and I cannot get people to to respond to it my distributors just won't you know they're not acting on it and uh, and one of the other members of my peer group said well do you have a brochure I didn't have a brochure I had been so focused on it it was the damnedest thing I couldn't yeah. believe it I'm sitting there going no <laughs> yeah well, the close to a problem. Yeah, that's great. Well, Marty, this has been a great show. Thanks so much for being on the best in sales. The last thing I like to ask folks is, uh, you know, I think when a show is great, it's like when a sale is great, you should celebrate it. So how do you celebrate a great sale? How did you celebrate that first sale back with the, uh, when the first truck left the yard there? Uh, great question. Couldn't agree more. You know what? I did not. 
I drove on. I grounded myself into the ground. I remember I hired a new chief operating officer, great guy, ran the company so wonderfully for me, and he put together a, a celebration, and I kind of ducked out of it and made an excuse that I had to go pick up an item from a vendor. Dumbest thing. You want to celebrate. You want to reward everybody who got you there. I don't, I don't think you can't do that uh, too much. And uh, uh, so I don't really have the answer to that, although uh, other than to say it is damn important, especially if you're the boss, you make sure it happens. Well, again, we're tying it back to that same point you made a few times now, the authenticity and the consistency. I mean, if your organization, I don't mean to beat you over the head with this, obviously you, you realize it, but you know, if the organization gets the sense that it's not worth celebrating great work, I mean, that could yeah. be a problem. Yeah. That could be a problem. <laughs> so how do you celebrate? Well, you, but you learned your lesson. So how did you celebrate the next one? How do you celebrate now? You know, for me, uh, I, I would like to uh, get away. My most favorite thing to do is to go out uh, for a walk in the woods with my dog. Ideally, it's uh, hunting season and maybe we uh, see a few birds. <laughs> so, uh, I'm one of these people, you know, they talk about nature deficit disorder. I have, uh, I have got to be outside and, uh, you know, get the sun and the wind in my face. So I, I'm always going to find some opportunity to do that. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah. Well, Marty, thanks so much for being on The Best in Sales. Owen, the show is great. An honor to be on. And before I forget, remind us, how can people learn more about whatever you want to highlight? I imagine HelloCycle is probably the answer, but give us websites and all that good stuff. HelloCycle.com. I would love it if you would visit and sign up. We'll definitely be putting a link to the uh, to HelloCycle.com on BestInSales.net for sure. Thank you, Owen. All right. Thank you, Marty. Cheers. Thank you for downloading the Best in Sales podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and visit our website at bestinsales.net.